it's time for the November 17, 2023 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on National Black Cat Day from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And, as always, the cat who despises cats, Mahler, the fake news dog. That's right, Mahler. He hates cats. I always thought he was a cool cat myself. Well, he is. He's the cat who despises cats. He is a cool cat. (laughs) That's right, Mahler. Today, we'll be talking about the world's largest insect farm, the carrot boycott, hallucinations, Iceland's volcano, and much more. But first, from the Pew Research Center. Pew, pew, pew. (laughs) Science is down. Overall, 57% of Americans say science has had mostly a positive effect Mm -hmm. on society. 57%. But this share is down 8 percentage points since November of 2021 and down 16 points since the start of the coronavirus outbreak. About a third, 34%, now say the impact of science on society has been equally positive as negative. Wow. Yeah. A small share, 8%, thinks that science sucks. When it comes to the standing of scientists, 73% of U.S. adults have a great deal or a fair amount of confidence in scientists to act in the public's best interest. 73%. But trust in scientists is 14% lower than it was at the early stages of the pandemic. Roughly a quarter of Americans, 27%, now say they have not too much or no confidence in scientists to act in the public interest. No confidence. How do you do that? From 12% in April 22, in other words, really down in confidence. Those with high trust are most likely to have gotten vaccines for COVID-19 and the flu. They're also most likely to say human activity contributes to climate change. And they're also most likely to have gone to a university or college or be thought of as smart. Yeah. I made that last part. I know you did, but it, yeah. Declining levels of trust in scientists and medical scientists have been particularly pronounced among Republicans over the past several years. In fact, nearly four in 10 Republicans are stupid. <laughs> that's incredible how Pew would come up. Yeah, they, in fact, that's no, wait, really I, I putting that a wrong. hammer down on the, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> well, you wonder how they got that result on the survey. I, I, are you stupid? Well, yeah, but. Yeah. yeah. In fact, nearly four in 10 Republicans, that's 38%, now say they have not too much or no confidence at all in scientists. This share is up dramatically from the 14% of Republicans who held this view in 2020. Fewer than half of Republicans, 47%, now say that science has had a mostly positive effect on society. Well, try that next time you go in for your colonoscopy, jerk off. Excuse me, but it, make, it angers me that people don't see the connectedness of science and what it does that's positive. They only see the negative things. They only see the things that they were told are negative. This yeah. is a result of homeschooling and Fox News. There is something to the idea that people are becoming adverse to education, adverse to science. Yeah. That is a troubling sign. Well, here's the other thing. 
In 2019, 70% of Republicans said that science had a mostly positive effect. Now it's down to 47%. Yeah. That's a huge drop. Yeah. And it's because of Trump's response to the coronavirus, where he was making fun of scientists who didn't want to yeah. use Clorox to cure a virus. Yeah. Question, research, hypothesis, experiment, data analysis, conclusion, and communication. That's the scientific approach. Yeah. You have a problem with any of those things? Yeah. Well, then you might have a problem with science. Sometimes you make mistakes doing those things, but those are the most likely to give you a good result in what you're looking at. A reliable result. Yeah. And by the way... Well, I don't know reliable, but it's, it's going to well, give you progress. Yeah. And okay. you have peer review after the whole pro right, the right, process, right. too. And as we have seen throughout the history of science over the many hundreds of years, if they do get it wrong, they will go back and make sure they do their best to get yeah, it they right. Don't, they, they, they don't double down. They don't double <laughs> down. I don't think there's any evidence that Democrats... Well, apparently, <laughs> according to many well, people... Those are, yeah, those yeah, are not but I'm scientists. saying they say they have evidence that Democrats are eating babies. Some Republicans believe that Democrats <laughs> eat babies. Eat babies. Those people are not scientists. This is true. From U.S. Times... Individuals who are skeptical of vaccines for themselves are also more likely to question the need and efficacy of getting shots for their doggo companions. <laughs> yeah. Why was right, Mom? I why can't believe you, it. Why would you waste it? That's according to a new study. Researchers asked 2,200 Americans their thoughts on pet vaccines. Approximately half of the pet owners surveyed expressed some degree of vaccine hesitancy with 53% saying they believed vaccines administered to dogs were unsafe, ineffective, or unnecessary. 53%. That group was 6% more likely to have dogs that were not vaccinated for rabies. Rabies is relatively rare. Mm -hmm. It's almost always fatal, though, mm -hmm. in animals and in humans alike. Mm -hmm. You get the signs of it, and you're a goner pretty, pretty much. much yeah. However, due to vaccines, it's also highly preventable. Only a few human cases are recorded each year in the United States. The rabies shot is the most important canine vaccination for protecting human health, and yet growing numbers of pet owners are skeptical of it. Most infections in humans are caused by domestic dog bites. <coughs> California law requires all dogs over four months old to be vaccinated for rabies, and similar rules exist throughout the United States. But God damn it, they're not telling me what to do. God, I hate scientists. You can have my rabid dog when you pry it from my cold, dead fingers. If you're a pro-science vaccinated dog owner, may I recommend a donation to KUCI because you're on the side of justice and the American way. <laughs> Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. <laughs> From Science Daily. Scientists have just achieved a milestone in the stem cell biology after creating a monkey with two embryos. Proof of this achievement is in the monkey's eerie green glow. In previous uh. double embryo attempts, scientists have struggled to successfully incorporate injected stem cells into the monkey with less than 5% of the final organism grown from donor cells. In the new work, 
researchers managed to create a monkey that had an average of more than 60% donor cell expression across tested organs. The high contribution from the donor stem cells the research achieved is what gave the infant monkey a strange green tinge. Wow. Yeah. How'd that happen? Before the stem cells were injected into the host embryo, scientists edited the cells to express green fluorescent protein, which was originally found in jellyfish and glows green under blue light. The modification allows scientists to evaluate just how much of a developing embryo came from the stem cells they added. From the Washington Post, the world's largest insect farm, a high-tech facility that sprawls across 35,000 square meters and will produce 15,000 metric tons of protein from fly larvae each year, opened in April in Nestle, France. If all goes as planned, it will be upstaged in December by a $45,000 square meter farm outside of Amiens. That's in France too, Amiens, capable of producing over... 100,000 metric tons of mealworms per year. The record stands to be tied or broken by at least two more fly hatcheries dated to open in 2024 and 2025. So in other words, the race to build the world's biggest bug farm is on. Now, is some of this have to do with agriculture? Is that why they're constructing it, or is this food? Well, this is the interesting thing, and it addresses your uh, question last week about why aren't we investing more in, in, in climate change yeah. and yeah. infrastructure. A nascent drive to cut greenhouse gas emissions from animal feed mm. has spawned this new industry, okay. flush with venture capital that promises to one day produce vast amounts of protein with fewer greenhouse gas emissions than traditional suppliers. Yeah. Inside the cutting-edge farms, companies rear squirming masses of crickets, mealworms and fly larvae within temperature-controlled plastic vats designed to help them grow quickly. That would be a hell of a place to work. I'll tell you. I wonder if you'd have any dreams at night of mealworms yeah, getting you don't, processed. Yeah, you don't want to leave your lunch out on the counter, that's for sure. <laughs> well, they're dead. Well, okay. <laughs> Still. <laughs> the first thing you think about is, well, my lunch. <laughs> they ate it. Dirt. Soil is the quickest, easiest, best way to address climate. Okay. Healthy soil, uh -huh. carbon capturing soil, is the best thing that we can do in a hurry that is doable. Yeah, make some nice healthy soil on the topsoil yeah. there. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Anyway, they process the insect species into fertilizer and their bodies into protein and nutrient-rich oil for pets, fish, and livestock. The bugs feed on food waste often piped in from nearby farms or processing <laughs> plants. They're tended to day and night by human handlers and AI-powered robots that keep the factories churning out protein 24-7. If insects are reared on food waste and grown close to the farms or processing plants that will eventually buy them, they can be a more sustainable source of nutrients than standard alternatives such as soybean feed or fish meal. Yeah. We're not proposing that we're replacing any of the food on your plate, said a bug researcher. What we're proposing is to hopefully make some of the food that shows up on your plate more sustainable. Yeah. You know, one of the things about this, and it's important, and I'm glad we're, that the scientific world and the world of business is beginning to take this on in a way. There is something to be said for 
trying to re-engineer the world to catch up with climate change. It's on balance. I'm sure it's a good thing. But I am also pretty certain that there will be the consequences unseen for our attempt to engineer a world without addressing some of the basic problems, well, which are fossil fuels. Right. No, I'm just that's saying. That's historical. That yeah. goes on yeah. all the time. Yeah, it does. We it invent does. something yeah. that turns out good in one way. The unintended consequences. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just saying it's a good thing. But until we address things like fossil fuel consumption and not and we can't pretend that that it doesn't matter. Uh, we're going to be continually doing these kinds of things. And on balance, it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just From the Washington Post, a flesh-eating fungus is expanding its range in the American West, and scientists suspect climate change is driving the spread. Which, yeah. again, to your point, yeah. here we could, if we had less fossil fuels, prevent a spread of a fungus. Valley fever has long haunted the American Southwest. Soldiers on dusty military bases, prisoners in windswept jails, construction workers pushing new suburbs further into deserts have all encountered coccidiotes, the flesh-eating fungus that causes valley fever. The threat is growing. Cases have roughly quadrupled over the past two decades. A key reason for valley fever spread is human-driven climate change and a much larger area of the United States will become vulnerable to the disease in the decades to come. The fungus thrives in dry soils, rides on plumes of dust, and booms after periods of extreme drought. The exact cycles that scientists say have grown more intense and widespread across the American West due to the warming climate. Today, valley fever affects tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, federal officials say, of people each year, and in rare cases, it can be extremely debilitating, even fatal. The illness costs about $1.5 billion per year in just two of the most prevalent states, Arizona and California, and dogs have been getting sick from valley fever in the northwestern states where coccidiotes is not known to be endemic in humans, including Oregon, Idaho, Colorado, and Montana. But the dogs with their noses in the dirt yeah. seem to be saying coccidiotes is already here. Yeah. They're the canary in the coal mine. Mahler's. He's, he's kind of shaking there in the Yeah, that would, that would, that would, yeah. Oh, Mahler. Okay. From Los Angeles Times. As the Cuyama Valley's north of Santa Barbara, only water source shrinks. A bitter legal battle over water rights has arisen between carrot growers and the community. Yeah. They're fighting back with a campaign urging everyone to boycott carrots. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I ain't going to do it. The campaign targets two of the world's largest carrot growing companies. Now, if I knew... That's the problem. You know, you buy carrots. They don't say, yeah, they don't say, they don't say Grimway Farms and Bolt House Farms. No, no, they don't, they don't say car, Carrot Cartel. Grimway Farms and Bolt House Farms, in case you're worrying. Yeah. Those are the two that you don't buy carrots from if you want to take part here. Yeah. They're the biggest water users in that valley. The companies stirred outrage when they sued property owners. They sued property owners throughout the valley, asking a court to determine how much water everyone can pump. The lawsuit filed in 2021 has left small farmers, ranchers, and other property owners with staggering legal bills. Residents have accused yeah. the companies of going to court to try to secure as much water as possible while forcing painful cuts on smaller farms. 
After many residents rallied around the carrot boycott, Bolthouse Farms and Grimway Farms recently dropped out of the lawsuit, filing requests to remove themselves as plaintiffs. There's a few other plaintiffs involved there. Both Grimway and Bolthouse said they are committed to reducing water use and taking part in the Valley's groundwater management plan, which the state recently approved. But residents and small farmers said they remain at odds with the carrot growers and will continue the boycott. Records show the two carrot companies pumped more than 28,000 acre feet of water last year, accounting for about 65% of all measured pumping reported to the local groundwater agency. Together, the companies used nearly three times the annual water use of the city of Santa Barbara. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. From the San Gabriel Valley Tribune, One of California's largest utilities is responsible for a blaze that killed two people attempting to flee a fast-moving 2022 fire near Hammett, southeast of Los Angeles, according to a report from the state's Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. Southern California Edison has previously denied any allegations of involvement in the Fairview fire, which ignited September 5th, 2022 and burned more than 28,000 acres and destroyed dozens of structures while displacing tens of thousands of residents. The report determined that because of a sag in one of Southern California Edison's electrical lines in Hammett, the wire came into contact with a communication line below it and caused a flurry of sparks igniting flammable vegetation nearby. The California Public Utilities Commission encourages utilities to temporarily shut down power to specific areas at at risk of a wildfire known as a public safety power shutoff. But despite the presence of strong winds and extreme heat conditions ripe for an inferno, the Cal Fire report said Southern California Edison's power lines remained energized that day. Just for what it's worth, Southern California Edison, a subsidiary of Edison International, provides electricity to roughly 15 million people across a territory of about 50,000 square miles. Now, they did something wrong here, but they also provide 15 million people across 50,000 square miles with electricity. And these are the stakes that we're going to face as we lean more on electricity. More wildfires. More wildfires. And that's why we need regulations. That's why we need watchdogs. That's why we need people who like regulations in office because we have to get control over some of the things that a bigger system needs to have. Unless you want to go live out in the boonies, that's fine. But if you're part of this world, part of this civilization, yeah, yeah, we need to... uh, consider how it is we're monitoring these things. The uh, issue of whether or not to bury the lines or to keep them above ground, that's an honest debate. There are, there are reasons to do one or the other. But as long as these things are above ground, that's going to be with us. So, Southern California Edison is seen as more proactive than California's largest utility, Pacific Gas and Electric, in taking steps to minimize fire ignitions from its equipment. 
Still, it faces billions of dollars in liabilities for past fires, including the 2018 Wolseley Fire, which destroyed more than 16,000 structures, killed three people, and prompted the evacuation of nearly 300,000. From our good friend Charles Pierce at Esquire magazine, the Supreme Court's new code of ethics is a bowl of elegantly phrased mush. It's a lame attempt to turn off scrutiny of various justices' relationships with their sugar daddies. Here, courteous of the New York Times is all you need to know about the ethics code that the Supreme Court announced with ruffles and flourishes. Here it is. Left unclear was how the code will be enforced. Yep. Can you imagine if we had a criminal code where at the end it said, left unclear is how the code is going to be un- enforced. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have this criminal code, but we're not going to have police. Yeah, we're not going to have police. We're not going to have anybody patrolling. No, we're not going to have any monitoring of what people are no doing. No district attorney. Yeah. Why would you need that? We've got a code. Come on. <laughs> most of the Supreme Court's new code of ethics is restating what most of us thought was understood when someone <laughs> took the job. Yeah. A justice should disqualify himself or herself in a proceeding in which the justice's impartiality might reasonably be questioned, that is, where an unbiased and reasonable person who is aware of all relevant circumstances would doubt that the justice could fairly discharge his or her duties. Yeah, that's a lot of words there, but, you know, if if you've got an interest in something where you're going to make some money, you shouldn't be sitting on the case. Yeah, Yeah, your uncle is being prosecuted and you're the judge, your favorite uncle. Now, the idea of recusal is a very basic concept in the judiciary. And the fact is that these are the people who are at the top of the pyramid of our judicial system who somehow, someway forgot about an enforcement mechanism for this. Are you kidding? Yeah. No. And for the New York Times, uh, just to address that, left unclear is how this code will be enforced? Yeah. Well, left unclear is precisely how dumb the Supreme Court thinks the rest of us are. From the New York Times... When summarizing facts, chat GPT technology makes things up. Now a new startup called Vectera, founded by former Google employees, is trying to figure out how often chatbots veer from the truth. The company's research estimates that even in situations designed to prevent it from happening, chatbots invent information at least 3% of the time and as high as 27% of the time. Experts call this chat box behavior hallucination. It is making up facts that it assumes you want to hear. It's a bias. It, and in computer, it's not a bias. That's anthropomorphizing it. Well, it, it is what it's been trained to do. It is a bias, yeah, but it's not making up its mind. It's spitting out what it's been told it, to spit out. But it's out. a feature of AI. It's, a feature of AI is... is yeah, it, is, which, which, which we program. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So we program something to give us lies. Yes. Oh, I, I, that's I, your theory. I, my theory I agree is, with that. Yeah. I, I think that, well, I think that's what, I think that's what the internet is. I think the internet, by virtue of its own AI, tells us what it thinks we want to hear. The internet is us. Right. We tell but ourselves my particular what we want, searches, us, want to my, hear. What I'm looking for when I go online and I'm looking for things over a period of time, it builds up a body of biases. Based on that, what we uh, want to hear. On what we want to hear. Yeah. Based on what we want to hear. Based on what it thinks we want to hear. 
And I'm we, saying think. We, <laughs> the algorithm is who gets the most hits. It's not an algorithm that says, let's make it based on what they think they want to hear. It's what we want to hear based on hits. Now, some people game the system, but in general, people want to hear fear and people want to be agitated and people want to be outraged. That's just the nature of things these days. Well, that's and because they, that's and a, they hit things. They click on that's things. That's a sales model. What you just described—that's what exactly. That's what that's keeps what us engaged. Is. That's what. But there are okay. But I also contend that there are other factors. If I'm constantly looking for something in a particular field of study, a particular subject, yeah. it is going to come back to me with what it assumes that I would have an interest in, and it may not be based on fear. It may be based on something else. So based, it's making assumptions. On, it's making on, assumptions about my behavior. Not making assumptions on, for the most part. It's basing assumptions about what you want to hear based on, on, on what you've wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there's a responsibility thing going back to you. If you don't like something on the internet, don't post it. Don't post it and say, look at this. It. These people are horrible. I'm not even, no, but I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people in yeah. general. Yeah. Don't post things that you don't like and to make fun of them. What you're doing is upping the likes for that particular thing. It's a serious issue for anyone using this technology, uh, the hallucinations are of yeah, yeah. computers, with court documents, medical information, or sensitive business data, because these chat box can respond to almost any request to an unlimited number of ways. There's no way of definitely determining how often they hallucinate. OpenAI's technologies had the lowest rate, about 3%. Systems from Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, hovered around 5%. A Google system, Palm Chat, Palm Chat had the highest rate at 27% hallucinations. Because the internet is filled with untruthful information, these systems repeat the same untruths. They also rely on probabilities. What is the mathematical chance of what the next word will be? Sometimes they guess correctly, and sometimes chat box get summarizations wrong. For example, the research asked Google's large language model, Palm Chat, to summarize this short passage from a news article. The plants were found during the search of a warehouse near Ashburn on Saturday morning. Police said they were in an elaborate grow house. A man in his late 40s was arrested at the scene. It gave this summary. This is Palm Chat. Police have arrested a man in his late 40s after cannabis plants worth an estimated 100 million pounds were found in a warehouse near Ashbourne. Well, a grow house might mean cannabis plants, and the value might be 100,000 pounds, but you're getting information there that wasn't in the original document. Is it possible that that chat box had another news source that it incorporated into that story? Well, it's, it's thousands it, of news sources. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's it's the whatever point. they yeah. can grab. Yeah. And they're also basing it on what words come next. They're yeah. basing it on a lot of things. And they're dementing what the information yeah, no, really I, is. I, I it's trying to summarize things for us based on our desires, too. Yeah. So we want to hear a monetary figure. And we want to hear cannabis. We want to hear cannabis. We, and, yeah. and grow house. Well, you know, it could be anything. Yeah, it could be carrots. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> worth hundred million dollars. No, okay, yeah. Well, the, yeah. the hundred the no, thousand dollars was was also a made up figure. Yeah. However, the hallucination detector comes with a caveat: the system that's going to hunt out these hallucinations. The language model doing the checking can also make mistakes. The hallucination detector could be fooled or hallucinate itself, so we could have hallucinating hallucination. <laughs> from psychological science white faces generated by artificial intelligence now appear more real than real human faces according to new research according to us too what that mm-hmm. headline would mean mm-hmm. what we interpret as real human faces are not actually real human faces mm-hmm. the same wasn't true for images of people who weren't white The reason for this discrepancy is that AI algorithms are trained disproportionately on white faces, Mm -hmm. the senior author of the report said. Concerningly, people who thought that the AI faces were real most often were paradoxically the most confident their judgments were correct. It turns out that there are still physical differences between AI and human faces, but people tend to misinterpret them. For example, AI faces tend to be more in proportion and people mistake this as a sign of humanness. Mm -hmm. So if you have a crooked nose or a misfigured face, you're automatically going to be judged by some people as being AI. And if you have a perfect face, like me, for example. You have very symmetrical face. It's very, very, (laughs) what's always intrigued me about you is that the symmetrical faces, then people symmetry. would think that yeah. uh, that I was, uh, yeah. I was real. Yeah, yeah. And I don't. I do the other way. Yeah, I figured that anybody, you yeah. know, with a symmetrical Any, face is made up. Yeah, I would too. In fact, I'm more attracted to unsymmetrical. Good. Do, there's a good documentary out about this called Coded Bias. I would recommend it if you're interested. People are interested. They get into it, and uh, it just is uh, very, well, very well and done. And you can't can't really blame the people who did this for basing the algorithms on white people because white people are more often in the the field doing this. You're exactly right. From Scientific American, after several tense days of earthquake swarms, people living on Iceland's Rakinis Peninsula are in limbo as they wait to see whether a surging blob of magma from half a mile beneath their feet will gently quiet down or explode in a damaging volcanic eruption. More than 3,000 people have been evacuated from the town of Grindavik in southwestern Iceland, which has been damaged by days of relentless quakes. Some of these have opened fissures in the landscape, including across roads. Seismic activity is quieted as of November 14, geoscientists say, but it's hard to tell whether this is a lasting trend or a calm before the storm. About 1,400 earthquakes were recorded within 24 hours on November 9th, with the largest being 4.8 magnitude. And from the journal Nature, on October 9, 2022, telescopes in space picked up a jet of high-energy photons careening through the cosmos toward Earth evidence of a supernova exploding 1.9 billion light years away. Such events are known as gamma ray bursts, and this one was the brightest of all time. Now a team of scientists have discovered that this burst caused a measurable change in the number of ionized particles found in Earth's upper atmosphere, including ozone molecules, which readily absorb harmful solar radiation. The effect was detectable for just a few minutes before the ozone repaired itself, so it was nothing serious, 
But if the supernova had occurred closer to us, it would have been a catastrophe. Whoa. Yeah. So we got something 1.9 billion light years away. Just a matter of degree, but closer and closer it comes. A burst like that it could destroy part of the ozone. From the Des Moines Register, tree theft is on the rise in Iowa. The crimes range considerably in their scope and sophistication, and the value of the heist can be lucrative. A prime black walnut trunk can fetch upwards of $10,000. The most egregious recent offense happened in Pocahontas County last year, where someone allegedly cut more than 100 trees from a state wildlife management area. One of the trees was a burr oak with a trunk about six feet in diameter. That tree was a sampling when uh, <sighs> Iowa was made a state. And finally, from the New Hampshire Union leader, a Colombian court ruled that a dog named Simona should be legally considered a Bogota man's daughter and treated as such in divorce proceedings. <laughs> can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review Podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.